Hey everyone, so this is my second podcast of today because I'm super overwhelmed and I wanted to discuss um, Islamophobia and casual racism because casual racism and Islamophobia usually go hand in hand and this is like an accumulation of several incidences over the last year um, because I might have mentioned that I lived with the ringleader before I moved to this place in his family home um, through his cousin. So I knew his cousin, it's like a huge house, two huge houses in London. Um, and yeah, so I'm just thinking back to all the sort of petty, um, things that were said and this idea of microaggressions, microaggressions aren't micro, like they're aggressions. That's what they are. They're aggressive. Um, to call them micro just diminishes our feelings and how they make us feel and actually just serves to protect um, the offender. So I really want to stop using that term and I think that that term needs to be dismissed and disbanded and put, put aside really because it's not there's nothing micro about racism. There's nothing micro about racism. Maybe I need to say it a third time. There's nothing micro about racism. Um, and it accumulates, you know, it really does. It sort of puts you down it beats you down and before you know it like all of it comes to your head it does because you let it slide because in your head you're, you've been taught you've been conditioned to call it a microaggression and no I'm not going to say that say anything and I'm going to pick my battles but the normalization of putting down your beliefs or your ideas or your history is extremely dangerous and that's extremely dehumanizing and it's very much aggressive it's an aggress it's an aggressive move so I'm <sighs> struggling here because it's so normalized like I just looked into uh, an interview with um, Zara Muhammad who is the newly elected um, Muslim Council of Britain uh, Secretary General um, the first woman to lead the council and she was interviewed by Emma Barnett on the BBC Women's Hour and she was aggressively questioned about the number of uh, Muslim MP, uh, sorry, imams that there are. Aggressively interrupted. Uh, and this is just a flagrant, um, aggressive case of Islamophobia. And the BBC is going to not call it that. It's not going to identify it as that. It's not good because it's not really... Um, acceptable to actually admit just how racist and Islamophobic this society is, let alone the fact that the BBC is condoning it and harboring it and promoting it and publishing it and airing it, okay, out into the mainstream. Because this is a big British broadcasting company, corporation, sorry. So it's actually publicly funded. So this is, think about it. This is publicly fund using public funds to promote Islamophobia and racism. And what does that remind us of? Where, does, where are we going here? Are we going to call it out? Are we going to say this is a repetition of history? Are we actually going to call it what it is? And uh, absolute dehumanization of an entire group of people, in particular the women, um, the silencing. Um, and it doesn't stop. We, when it, it it doesn't stop even when there's a powerful uh, Muslim woman in in that seat. So there's there's a quite a quite a difference there because 
um, you know, you would expect there to be actually like a level of respect, you know, but even nothing, nothing holds it back, actually. So I think Muslim men might be able to get a bit more respect because Sadiq Khan is the mayor of London. He's been the mayor of London for a while. But I really believe, and I know because I have two sisters, I have a mother, I have sister-in-laws, I have cousins who are women. Um, I'm a woman. I'm from, you know, very, you know, working class, sort of below working class, very precarious economic, socioeconomic background. Um, so I've seen it all, really. Like, I've I've seen it all. I've seen it all. <laughs> like, there's no uh, institution or element of society that I haven't seen our women being mistreated within, like, brutalised within, dehumanised within, talked down within, interrupted within, um, lied to in terms of, like, what um, resources we have access to, etc., etc., etc. Like, all of these things. All of these things. So... I'm probably going to do a uh, YouTube video about this because it's actually like really awful um, the situation that I'm living in because um, the people that I live with also like think that they're like super not Islamophobic and they are because not only like putting down like using the the Jewish ancestry as a, as a, as a means to shut down my voice you know because he knows that I can very quickly be accused of anti-Semitism if I dispute that um, which is just, um, inaccurate and, and false, um, and, you know, it's, it's something that actually a lot of people in Italy, um, tended to do, um, because they actually harbour, they still harbour a lot of anti-Semitism, um, and a hatred of, they have a lot of, uh, fascist residue still present in their culture, because, um, the process that, uh, fascism involved was not didn't leave any stone unturned it it infiltrated every single public and social um institution that there was and still is so it's 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 deep it's dug deep it's dug its deep uh, claws deep into the italian mentality the the idea of the man the idea of the woman all of those things so um you know given that actually like the fascist ideologies of britain of france of Spain of you know all of those places um and I say France as well because of their their history with with the colonies um you know their and their attitude towards um non-Europeans is um something that they will share they will share it um you know it 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 was an economic war it was an ideological war or a moral war uh, the second world war um because ideologically they were all on the same page in terms of like their attitude towards um, Jews and Muslims and migrants and all, all that sort of thing, like um, gypsies. And, you know, they just had an awful way of viewing, uh, you know, minority groups in general, um, blanket, especially poor people who belong to those groups. Um, you know, and it's a very awful, awful thing to talk about because it is just disgusting. Like, look at what it culminated in in, in, in the 20th century. Um, you know, and and then for people to not um, take heed to that and not to, to, to not really learn the lessons and to, to weaponize the Second World War and all of those things for their benefit to justify their white, white supremacy and the colonization of Palestine. It's absolutely unacceptable and the suggestion that um the new york times likes to do this a lot is to put um, palestinians and israelis on the same page in their sort of usual liberal you know propaganda 
Um, and it was interesting because I heard it sort of the parallel being used like, oh, you know, sort of being put in the same sentence. And it's like, no, one is oppressed and one is the oppressor. One is has the power. One does not have the power. One has the economic and uh, military power. The other one doesn't. So, you know, Israel is the only nuclear power in that region. Um, so, and it's opaque in, in its uh, nuclear, nuclear development, in its, you know, in, in how it's developing its, its nuclear program. It doesn't have to say anything about um, what, it's, what it's doing, declare anything. So, you know, there's a lot of privilege behind that, white privilege, white privilege. Um, and we know that, um, yeah, there is a huge problem of white supremacy in uh, Israel. So that's what the country consists of. Um, the whiter you are, if you're Ashkenazi, then you are privileged. You are um, granted privileges and you're seen as the true, the true, the best, all of those things. If you happen to fall into, like, a Jew, if you're, if you're a Jewish Arab, if you're brown, if you're from one of the Arab countries, Jewish Arab, yes, they exist. Um, if you're black, I mean, you know, there's just read about it. I mean, there's so much evidence to that. It's a state that's built on white supremacy and colonization. Palestine, however, on the other hand, is Palestinians. They are um, oppressed people. They are occupied. They are, there is a slow genocide happening there. There is an open prison in Gaza. There's, um, you know, um, illegal settlements being developed, uh, houses being destroyed, you know, military incursions every single day. I've been there. I went there. I um, saw what was happening. I went to the refugee camps. I taught in the refugee camps. I met the refugees. I, um, you know, I, I know what it's like out there. And it, if, and you know, like before anyone forms an opinion, like a really solid opinion, they sh- and, and, and feels they should talk about it, you know, openly and put forth that they should really think about whether they've seen it firsthand or not, because that's a totally different reality out there. Um, and it is not founded and it's not based on anything like white supremacy. There's nothing that, that, that points to that, um, at all whatsoever. And any, uh, parts of Palestine, which I really thought, you know, I was in Nablus, which is quite underdeveloped and, you know, it sort of feels like it's sort of in a time capsule in some ways, but in some ways it's not because the currency is Israeli. So you feel that they're on both the hills, it's in a valley, Nablus, um, you know, there are military bases on each hill, so there's a very present, there's present occupation. Um, also in terms of, like, empty buildings, under con- unfinished construction work, because they've had limitations on how tall their buildings can be, and which building, and so there was, like, tall buildings where they could only use the first three floors and some something like that. Um, otherwise, you know, it's, it's considered, like, not allowed or illegal, or not per- permitted. They don't have the permission, the building permission, right? Um, from the Israeli um, occupying forces or the, the occupying, um, what can you call it? Um, yeah, they, they don't have the permission to do it on their own land and on their own property and using their own resources. Um, so to equate the two is fundamentally wrong. And so I think that there's a lot of whitewashing of, of, of white supremacy. There's a lot of it going on. There's a lot of underhand tactics. There's a lot of like false allyship. There's a lot of um, infiltration into our spaces and, you know, like, and then insidiously putting us down and making us doubt things like our relig- religious beliefs. Like this, I'm going to refrain from using a derogatory term, but um the ringleader, basically, I remember a few months ago when I was still, we were still living in the old house, um, 
we were talking, I was talking about like racism in Islam and I was like, oh, you know, it was denounced by the Prophet Muhammad uh, in his last sermon. And he said that, you know, like no one is, everyone is equal basically. And a black man is not superior to, a white man is not superior to a white, you know, it's, it spoke of racial equality, basically look it up. And his response was, oh, that was, um, that speech was um, modified it wasn't, it's not, that's not the original speech and it was modified and obviously um, that aspect of anti-racism was added later because, um, and I was like, at what point, at what point are you talking about? What are you talking about? And what are you basing that on? So again, it's like decimating and attempting to put down our religion and it's really, really insidious because it's not based on anything and because he knows that I've spent a lot of time like, yeah, I had a super religious upbringing, but then for a lot of time, because I was shamed into being, uh, made to feel ashamed of being a Muslim, I really detached from my, from that, and I didn't for a long time, like, learn and my, my own history, and so there's a lot of gaps there, and so because he knows that, he's going to take the advantage and make statements and bold sweeping statements about my religion, which he doesn't actually know about, and make me doubt myself. Think about that. Like, think about how, how, how is that a micro thing? How is that a micro, that's an aggression. That's a, a racist aggression. And that's where we go back into pathology because abuse is pathological. These kinds of um, attempts to enforce power on people, like look at Hitler. He had a pathological problem. There's a reason why like people were like, oh, he definitely had an incestuous relationship with his niece. It, something definitely went wrong because it was so wrong what he did it was so wrong so why are we allowing people to continue to behave like that why like why are we excusing i don't care who's saying it. i don't care if he's from saudi arabia i don't care if he's muslim i don't care if he's jewish i don't care if he's hindu i don't care if he's sikh i don't care if he doesn't believe in god these kinds of statements and these exercises of power and these uh, generalizations based on, you know, knowing your, your, your fragility and your vulnerability and knowing your victimhood and using that and utilizing that. That's what the Nazis did when there was, um, you know, an economic crisis in Germany. They used people's fragility, their vulnerability, their weaknesses, their desperation, okay, against them. Anyone who does that and uses that as a tactic to live their lives and build their lives upon is a dangerous person, okay? And that needs to be called out. Anyone. Like, I have family members who behave like that, okay? And I don't talk to them. I make it very clear why I don't talk to them. So this is not just a case of me calling someone out because of whatever. No, I do this everywhere I go. And yes, it causes me a lot of problems because I call it out. I call out the exercise of the utilisation of patriarchy to shut women down, physical, you know, like men being physically bigger, all those kinds of things that they use as a threat. And they're used to it. They're used to it. They're used to it because... We live in a society where people are like, oh, that's not my problem. That's not my problem. That's her problem over there. That's, I'm going to walk away. Oh, he's hitting his wife. Okay, that's their problem. 
Like, do you know the number of times that I've had to intervene with other people's, you know, issues because there is no societal repercussion. There's no, you know, a guy can hit his wife and what, you know, there'll be a dinner and then, you know, everyone will be like, hi, how are you doing? Like, literally. And do you, can you imagine how the person who's being abused feels? That's how I feel right now, to be honest. Like, I know how it feels. Um, so I can, you know, I, I wouldn't, I, I actually blank men. Who, I don't talk to them. If I know that there's an abusive situation going on, I make sure that I make it clear that I don't agree with that and I will not condone it and I will not smile at them and I will not, um, you know, protect them and be part of that protective layer that they have around them that society grants them. And I'm a minority, trust me. I am very much a minority. So what are the social... Um, everyone is interested in themselves. Everyone is interested in protecting their own interests and doing their own little projects and getting ahead in life. At what cost? At what cost? At whose expense? At the, the very same people that these communists and all of these lefties and all of these people are claiming to be in defence of. And taking resources, not only from the people that they're exploiting, because they do, they do, they do take resources because taking pictures of poor people is taking their, their resource. That's actually, like, disgusting how the people that I live with, like, do that for their university projects. You know, this fetishization of poverty, this fetishization of abuse. Oh, do you, is it enjoyable? You know, if we turn it into art, does that make it, like, delicious? Does it make it, you know, uh, fancy? Does it make it cool? Does it make it hip? Abuse of people? Of, of the people on the street? Is that the way we're going to conduct ourselves within art spaces and within education and within politics? and within our social circles, is that really what we're going to go about doing? Because I am not going to be part of that. Like, I've excommunicated myself, like, frankly speaking, and I'm setting up my own organisation called Women in Art. Um, the reason why it's called Women in Art is because I think that there is generally a more of a tendency for women to be sexually exploited within the art world, um, and so it seems um, uh, justified, but it's open and welcome, everyone is welcome, and um you know it's an equal space and um but but that fact that i've just mentioned should be respected and acknowledged from the get-go um and also like women are the, the the bearers of creativity like we are we we hold the womb you know we behold the womb um even in islam women are superior actually in many ways to men because if you read and if you study Islam, then you'll know that um, the very well-known quote by the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace be upon him, uh, which is, paradise lies at the feet of your mother. Okay? That's the first one. Not your father. So at the feet of a woman. And then the second one is, um, who, I think it, it was, um, who do you, you know, respect after... The prophets and the prophet Muhammad said the question what well, that was the question the, the prophet said your mother and then the person asked again who then your mother and then he said your mother and he asked four times 
And then it was the father. So think about the divinity, the, the sanctity, and also like how we revere um, Mary, Maryam, as Jesus's mother, um, Khadija, the prophet's wife. Um, you know, she is a role model for us. She was a leader. She was uh, a businesswoman. She employed Muhammad, actually. So she was in some way ahead of him, you know, like in, 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 in terms of, you know, in, in, in some aspects, she knew more and he relied on her. Not in a way to say that they were competing, but because they, were, they could learn from each other, they could grow from, they could rely on each other for support. And that's the essence of our religion. And that essence is embodied in a lot of Muslim men. Trust me. And then there is the imposition of the Western ideas of what a man and a woman should be, how they should behave, and what a woman should wear in order to be modern, in order to be liberated, and how a man should treat his woman. Uh, his Yeah. <laughs> Because that's how it is, isn't it? It's about ownership. The woman takes the man's name. My mom didn't take my dad's name. My sisters, even on my passport, I have my mom's name. I have my, we have our mother's name. So think about that. When there is a judgment placed on me, first and foremost, for speaking, and then what is, you know, handed down to Muslim women as a whole. And have a, sit down and have a private conversation with a Muslim woman and see how enlightened she is. Or a Muslim man and see how enlightened he is. If you are willing to, or if you're brave enough. Because most people are cowards and they don't want to learn from people that they've decided and they've been told we don't have anything to learn from. So it's very frustrating because it feels like an uphill battle. I know what the state of the situation is because I've endured it. I've watched my mom go through it, especially. I think that that's probably the biggest part of this. Understanding, watching my mom go through what she did just to put food on the table for her kids as a widow. The, re like the level of daily abuse that she had to go through just to buy, be able to purchase some fruit and vegetable for her kids. And she made sure, this is the essence of a Muslim woman, she made sure we had food. My mum wasn't an emotionally engaged person. She was not there emotionally. She was not there a lot of the time physically. Like She just wasn't there. I, don't hug, I didn't hug my mum. I didn't have that. I didn't have a physical, like a close relationship with my mom in any way, an affectionate relationship with my mom in any way. The most, <laughs> I guess it would be expressed a lot of the time, like um, she would, when she, because she's bipolar, when she could cook and she could, like she generally do the, do the um, I think most of the time, like, yeah, I think it's very blurry, but I think when she couldn't um, go out and buy food for us, um, cook for us, we would go to the supermarket and we would steal food. Um, because also, like, sometimes we wouldn't know where our mum was. Um, we would go home and we weren't allowed keys to the house. So um, 
we would go to the supermarket because there was nothing else to do like there was no family around there was no one that we knew that we could just go and knock on their door and be like hey can I sit with you can we nothing no friends that you could go around to their house that's not how we grew up um so we would sit outside for hours or we would go to the supermarket and we would steal food and we would eat it and that's how we grew up so you know this is the reality of how much colonialism and islamophobia and anti-muslim sentiment and war and against us and um, aggression towards us and this absolute dehumanization of us has an impact on our daily lives and how we grew up and how we experienced our reality growing up. So it's not a small thing. There's nothing micro about racism, okay? It's a blanket of abuse. It's a blanket, hands down, the worst thing in existence. There's nothing worse than that. There's nothing worse than that because the outcomes of that produce everything else horrible and worse, like and bad and terrible. So, you know, a lot of the people who are working for women's uh, children's rights or women's rights, you know, they do talk about, you know, how they didn't know their history. They didn't know um, where they came from. And so they ended up being abused um, because they were vulnerable and because they didn't have a sense of self. Where does that come from? So, you know, there's a lot of people who like to blame um, us. There's a lot of people who like to blame the victims. But I am going to really, really, really bring out from the, you know, from, from the underbelly, the real reality and the dark that no one wants to look at. Okay? And I'm going to put it out there and I'm going to say this is what is going on. Because people are suffering a lot. And they're suffering in silence. And the state is very happy about that because it means that people are less politically engaged. It means that people are more likely to be just suffering and surviving, especially now this lockdown. And you have no idea. I haven't even mentioned, like, you know, the abuse that I'm, 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 I'm sort of witnessing. Um, you know, it's life-threatening. It's, it's terrible that I'm dealing with in, in, in another area of my life. So this is happening in secret. This is happening because of lack of housing, lack of social housing, lack of adequate housing, lack of space, lack of access to resources, lack of, um, you know, like credible and uh, accountable um, uh, counsel. Okay, they're all corrupt. They're all lying. They're all like in on the game. They've all been pathologized into this, like, oh yeah, abuse is correct. Abuse is the way. Abuse is to the way to do things. Abuse is the way to get people to leave the office. Abuse is the way to get them to shut up. Abuse is the way to get them to stay at home. Abuse is to get them to stop pestering me for a reform. This is, uh, you know, to make my life easier because hey, this isn't my job after all, is it? So there's a lot of people who just aren't doing their jobs as well. So it's sort of like really quite calling into question again a lot of things like. What is your job? Like, what are you here for? What, like, a meaning, meaningful, meaningful life, you know? And it often comes from, you know, a spiritual place when you talk about 
meaning and having a meaningful life. So if you take away the spiritual, if you take away ideas of spirituality, if you make um, religion taboo, if you make it, um, if you demonize um, spiritual people, um, you know, this happens across communities. Like, it's clear, like, Orthodox uh, Jewish community, they are, you know, very much, like, isolated because, you know, they're spiritual people. um, And there's a lot of abuse thrown at them. So, because they're visible, they're visibly um, different. So, why is that a problem? Why do people have such a big problem with that? Like, I I really fail to understand. Maybe because I'm from a religious minority, so I see it from, like, a very different... I see it from a different perspective, but um, it's really... When you see something different, when I see something different, I would like to, even maybe they don't want to talk to me, I would approach them with kindness and curiosity and, hi, you know, like, is that so difficult? Is it, it really kind of hurts, like, it breaks my heart that people can't understand that and that we're conditioned to not be like that, to not have that empathy, like, it, it's really, um, it shocks me every single day. It shocks me. Um, so I know I'm talking about a lot of things again, but I'm actually just building a collection of these because um, one day I guess they'll be useful or not and or just as a, um, uh, you know, my own mental notes and things like that. But it's hard, like, it's been really hard. Um, I wish I could just, like, get rid of these thoughts. (sighs) Um, But it's like, yeah, it's everywhere. When you're a minority in this country, it's everywhere. It's like... And I know I'm going to feel better once I've moved out, like, I know that. But it doesn't change the fact that this is normal. And there's a reason for it to be normalised and there's a mechanism in place to to normalise it. So, you know, I don't think anyone should have to go through this. Maybe it's a very unusual situation because most kids, like most Muslim kids, they stay at home and good for good reason. Like, now I know why my mom wouldn't let me out of the house. But once I was out of the house, like, you know, you can't get back in. So it was a bit of a mess. Um, you know, it's... Yeah, it's dangerous. I don't I don't agree with my, the idea of microaggressions. I think that racists are just the most awful people on this planet. I think that anyone who, like, covers for them and benefits from racism and exploitation, racial exploitation... Um, is is an awful person, like to put it frankly, and they should really, really reconsider their their ethics, um, and what they're doing, what what they're doing, and what they're contributing to. And like I said before, like, you know, what is your purpose? Like, is it just to make money? Is it just to be famous? Is it to pretend that you're doing something when you're not? When you're actually just feeding the system of exploitation, um, which is just worse. Um, so yeah like and and people who are doing jobs and things like that like what is the meaning to your life like it doesn't matter what your job is because I've done plenty of like ordinary jobs like started off working in a clothes shop 
I've worked in like lots of little food shops. I've been a waitress. I've been, you know, make. I've been a coffee maker. Um, I've done lots of like little little jobs. Got fired from a lot of jobs. Got abused in a lot of jobs. You know, but every job that I did, like it had meaning. It meant that I could learn something, and it meant that I could actually you know, I could actually um, learn from whoever I was around, whether that was, like, my colleague or my boss or my manager or, like, the person in front of me who was, like, a customer. So, or even the products that I was looking at, like, even the, the building that I was in or the, you know, the, the shelves that I was I was, pile, I was putting stuff up on, you can learn something from that. So wh- why do people have this sort of, like, why do people think that their jobs are, like, a re- reasonable uh, vehicle for like abuse like why is that the meaning behind your, your your everyday existence like really and I'm talking about the council like people who are responsible for housing for yeah specifically and also politicians like, is that really like their what, the, what their meaning is in like then if that's the case and they're the people who are leading like social welfare and stuff like that we need to really have a careful look at history and also like reevaluate that because, yeah, like, go into any council flat and ask them to, to show you the damp or the, 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 the problems in their flat and you'll be able to to see. Um, so I'm going to leave it there and hope that I can actually just... That, like, yeah, I can get through today.